0: Hey everyone i'm lauren good your get wired host i wanted to tell you about another podcast we have called gadget lab which i co-host every week with wired senior editor michael clory and so this week in the get wired feed we're sharing an episode of gadget lab with you in case you'd like to have a listen hey mike what do we do on gadget lab why don't you fill people in
1: hi lauren well on gadget lab we talk about uh the latest in gadgets and consumer technology in general We bring in guests from around the world of Wired to talk about how we can best use our technology.
0: And what would you say is your favorite part of the Gadget Lab podcast?
1: Uh, The end of the show when we all recommend stuff that we're really digging.
0: Yeah, and I have to say some of Mike's recommendations are delightfully esoteric.
1: (laughs) Deep cuts calorie, they call me.
0: (laughs) So we hope that you'll take a moment to listen and subscribe to both Gadget Lab and the new Get Wired podcast. And before we hop into this week's Gadget Lab, we actually need your help for the next episode of Get Wired. So we are currently working on an episode of Get Wired that's all about back to school. We're exploring how parents and teachers and kids are reinventing education in real time to meet the needs of what we're all going through in the coronavirus pandemic. And we'd love to hear from you about your experiences so far in remote education and what's working and what's not during this especially challenging back to school season. We also want to hear about the frustrations you have while figuring out school over Zoom and other issues that you're facing. So call us, we actually set up a voicemail um, this is not my personal number, but it is a number that you should use. You can leave us a voicemail with your name, where you're from, and your experiences. And we'd really love to hear from you on Get Wired. The number is 415 534 9498. That is 415 534 9498.
1: Thanks, Lauren. Let's go do the Gadget Lab now. Let's do it. Lauren. Mike. Lauren, do you ever wonder if the things that you say to Alexa might become evidence if you committed a crime?
0: Well, I try very hard not to commit crimes, Mike.
1: (laughs) Alexa, do you send your recordings to the police?
2: Sorry, I'm not sure about that.
1: Alexa, do you send your recordings to the FBI?
2: No, I work for Amazon.
1: Alexa, does Amazon share your recordings with the FBI?
2: Amazon takes privacy seriously. For more information and to view Amazon's privacy notice, visit the help section of your Alexa app.
0: I'm sure lots of people are going to do that.
1: (laughs) Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired. I am joined remotely by my co-host, Wired senior writer Lauren Good, who is also the host of our other podcast, Get Wired.
0: Hi, everyone. And hi, Mike.
1: Hi. Good to see you again. We are joined this week by Wired senior writer Sidney Fusell. Sydney, welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Today, we're talking about smart speakers and the surprising role they might play in crime investigations. If you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Smart Display or some other voice-enabled device in your home, you probably know that they're listening much more than they let on. There have been stories about how they've picked up on threads of conversations even when people haven't used the wake word or asked an explicit question. But it turns out that the voice data these devices collect can be used either in your defense or against you in a court of law. In fact, attorneys and detectives are growing more savvy about the smart home in general. They've been able to string together data gathered from multiple smart devices to pinpoint people's locations and activity and possibly prove or disprove their alibis. Now, Sydney You wrote a story for Wired.com this week about how smart home data can be used to try to exonerate a defendant. I would like to ask you to tell us about the crime that opens your story. And before you do that, I should warn listeners that there are some graphic details in this story about an alleged murder.
2: Right. So um, in July 2019, police were called to um, a home in Hollandale Beach, Florida. Hollandale Beach is about 20 minutes outside of Miami. And they were called to the home of Adam Crespo and Sylvia Galva. There was a um, Galva's friend who was also in the home at the time called 911 because she overheard a very violent argument between Sylvia and her boyfriend, Adam. Um, When police arrived, Sylvia was dead. She had been stabbed through the chest with a 13-inch blade. Um, The boyfriend, Crespo, was arrested and charged but he told police that she grabbed the blade the two of them were struggling and she ended up accidentally stabbing herself he's saying that he did not stab her he was charged with um, second degree murder um, but that was his defense that essentially she died accidentally and so ultimately what happened was um, police arrested Crespo, charged with murder. And his lawyer, um, who I spoke with, his name is Christopher O'Toole, um, Christopher said that he actually believes that the smart speakers, the Amazon Echo speakers that were there that night, will actually prove Adam Crespo's version of events, which is that the two of them were potentially arguing, but he didn't commit a crime that night. She died accidentally. Um, when I spoke with Mr. O'Toole, he said quote, I actually thought of it as this being the first time an Amazon Alexa recording could be used to exonerate somebody and show that they're innocent.
0: And is that what ultimately happened with the recordings?
2: So at this point, it's unclear what exactly the voice recordings are going to show because the trial is on hold. Um, Although this occurred last year because of COVID, there's a lot of like um, hearings and uh, criminal proceedings were pushed back. So as of right now, the trial is on hold.
0: Sydney, in your story, you mentioned that requests from police for this kind of data have increased a lot since 2016. Why is that?
2: So there's a couple different theories about why it is that um, police have been requesting this type of data more and more. Um, In its most recent transparency report, Amazon said it fields about 3,000 requests uh, from police just in the first half of 2020. That's not specifically smart speaker requests, um, but just in general, they received a huge increase in requests for user data. It's up about 70% from this same time period in 2016. I talked to a few different forensic investigators about why that may be, and there's sort of two main theories. The first theory is simply uh, media attention, whenever, um, Amazon echo echo data or whenever smart home or smart device data is used as part of the prosecution of the defense it gets a lot of media coverage because it's you know it's it's dark it's interesting and I think we all sort of have this underlying fear that we're being listened to by our devices so um, the second sort of theory which sort of like uh, complements the first is this idea of search templates and so whenever a um, whenever law enforcement requests data from Amazon, it's the same thing with like Google and its speaker system. They have to send over either a search warrant or a subpoena, and they have to say things like the, the details of the crime, what it is they're looking for, the devices they'd like to look at, and what evidence they believe may be on the device. Um, so with the search warrant that was used in the earlier Florida case, um, the police said they believe that the devices may have overheard the argument or events leading up to it. Um, the forensic investigator I spoke with said that A lot of police departments are writing these search warrants, creating templates of them, and then sharing them among themselves. So instead of every single time a police department wants to request this type of data, they start from scratch going through the the individual details of the data they want to request and the devices they believe it on. They can share these templates, which are sort of pre-written to include, and um, it'll say things like, Um, there will be like a bracket that says, here's where you'll talk about the evidence that you want. Here's where you'll you'll talk about the data that you think you'll find. Basically, the template makes it much easier to write these devices, and they're always based on uh, previous search warrants that were successful, in which they did get the data. And so as these search templates are sort of being shared, it's becoming a little bit easier for police departments to write templates, or excuse me, to write search warrants and subpoenas that are sort of tailored to what it is that they're trying to to get from Amazon or Google.
1: Um, what kinds of things can the companies actually share with law enforcement when they request the data? Is it specific data? Is it transactional stuff? Is it metadata?
2: I spoke to forensic investigators about the type of data that they can find on smart speakers. And although there's a lot of attention that's paid to voice recordings, and yes, voice recordings do play a part in some of these um, investigations, one of the main things that these investigators are looking for is activity logs, and so essentially, it's a everything you do using the smart speaker has a timestamp next to it. So it'll say eleven p.m. You use your speaker to um, search for um, the name of an actor, and then you know thirty minutes later, you used it to order a pizza. All this stuff is timestamps, and if you've taught your speaker to recognize you, it is also identified as you being the user who made whatever the request is, whatever the query was. These timestamps can be used to create a timeline by investigators. So they can see at Thursday between 11 and 1 a.m., you did this at 11.25, and then you did this at 11.45, and you did this at 12.01. And so these activity logs are very instrumental when you're trying to determine what happened between the time of a crime. So when you think about the Florida case, that activity log would have all different types of requests and pings during that time period, even if it doesn't have those you know, those recordings that are tr- triggered by a wake word. And that's one of the things I really want people to sort of take away from this. It's not just when you use the wake word and ask something like, you know, hey, Alexa, what time does something start? it's everything you do gets recorded in these logs and so investigators really want to know what were you doing in these specific time periods and that data is um top of mind you know just as much as voice recordings are
0: and are they using this data in a kind of uh you know digital triangulation like if they're requesting speaker data for example might they also cross-reference that with something that you're doing on your Fitbit, right? Or um, a message you're sending in Facebook Messenger at that time or any any other service, I mean, not to single those out, but any other service you might be using where you're essentially leaving a digital footprint?
2: That's exactly right. Um, When I spoke to investigators, they said that data on one device typically leads to data on another device, leads to data on another device. And so with um, this case in Florida, they first subpoenaed or they first collected the um, Adam's, Smartphone. And then from there, they went back, and a few weeks later, they did his, um, this speaker, and they also looked for social media data. And so it, the, the investigations expand over time, and they all, um, the, data from different devices correlate with each other, especially when you're trying to do things like try to figure out who people were meeting with, where they were going, um, what they were doing during particular times. Um, and I think that was one of the most surprising things that um, I learned when I was reporting this, is that it's actually not extremely far-fetched for a smart speaker to potentially exonerate someone. Um, because when you think about these sort of stamped, you know, unique to the user activities, you could say, I was not... At you know that bar at eleven o four, I was not in that house at eleven o eight because my speaker shows that at that exact time I was in my apartment ordering a pizza, or I was in my apartment you know saying Alexa play this music. Um, it's very um, unlikely, but it's completely possible that a potential defendant or person of interest could set forth the timeline established by their speaker as a defense to say this is where I was. I was not where you think I was.
0: I'm wondering if Amazon is able to outright reject these requests if it chooses. And I'm thinking about Apple's refusal to share communication data with the FBI around the San Bernardino shooting, which was at least partly because you know, Apple said it didn't have a backdoor to that data. And I'm wondering where Amazon stands on that.
2: Right. So when I spoke to Amazon um, and Google, they both said that they have essentially a priority list when it comes to these types of requests. And so the number one priority is going to be issues of homeland security and um, preventing you know, terrorist acts. And that's their number one priority. Those requests get answered immediately, yes or no. Then under that, I think it's um, like child abuse and or that murder. And it sort of goes down the line to other civil cases. Um, there's actually, interestingly enough, a lot of divorce cases involve Amazon Equidata. by the likelihood that you can maybe, like, catch someone cheating or things like that based on what the Amazon overheard. Um, But they do have the ability to say yes or no. Um, The most, uh, I guess, high-profile case would be in 2016, there was a um, murder case in which police requested Amazon uh, Amazon speaker data, and Amazon initially said no. They issued a very long, I think 90-page sort of like explanation of why it was they didn't want to hand over that data. But they ultimately did uh, release it because the defendant consented and said, similar to this case, I don't think that there's anything in those files that would prove that I did anything wrong. And so can they say no? Yes, they can. It would never be easy, though, because they're going up against these police departments and they, they're going up against... They would need a very... Um, steadfast justification for why the answer would be no um i will say though amazon does sometimes do uh partial responses so maybe you ask for 10 different things and amazon gives you seven or four or three um i'm not aware of cases too many cases where they outright reject and say no but it is common for them to give uh, partial responses so maybe you'll get a little bit of the metadata but not the actual like content of the voice recordings or things like that
1: all right well this is Very fascinating so far. We're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk more about smart home devices and what you should know about your own privacy. Hey, we're back. Okay, so even if you aren't plotting any crimes, it's a good idea to be aware of just how much information your smart devices are gathering from you. That's why we're going to offer some tips here for how to keep your private life, well, more private. Sydney, you spend a lot of time researching these devices and reporting on all the ways they are being used and exploited. I'm curious, what are your own thoughts about having a smart speaker in your home?
2: Well, I mean, first and foremost, if you want a Bluetooth speaker, you can get one that isn't an always-on listening device. Like, there's a lot of different options out there just from a consumer perspective. But also, I'd say that, you know, when I think about um, smart devices, not just smart speakers, but smart devices in general. I I really think about this idea from Jonathan Zitrain. He's a Harvard professor who writes a lot about privacy, and he sort of coined this phrase, um, intellectual debt. And he explained it as when you buy something, you don't necessarily know how it works. So you sort of go into debt, But eventually how it works will affect you in some way, and it's sort of like the bill coming due. And that's sort of how I think about all these devices. You sort of like buy them, not really like paying attention to the privacy policy, not really paying attention to the types of data they collect and whether or not you're okay with that data being collected. And you're like, oh, this is fine. But eventually it will affect you in some way that you may or may not even realize. So there's sort of like a debt come and do and so I, th- I think about sort of the cumulative effect of buying all these different devices and not actually knowing like whether or not that data goes to the police whether or not that data goes to the insurance company to see if you actually like are healthy or not you know and so I, I just think not necessarily about I don't think it's useful to pinpoint any individual specific devices quote-unquote the worst but for people who like to sort of like rack up these gadgets I would You know, ask them how much you actually know about this stuff and what's going to happen when you realize, oh, all of these or some of these or one of these um, collects my data or shares it. Or, you know, there's some type of like aspect to it that I find unacceptable.
0: Sydney, how do you weigh utility of these devices versus that intellectual debt? Like, do you ever have moments where you say, okay, you know, that was really useful. Now I have to consider how useful that was relative to the amount of, you know, privacy that may be eroded.
2: I mean, what I would say is that the utility is very um, individualized, you know? So, like, what, what I consider to be acceptable or reasonable for you may not work for anyone else. And I think that you have to remember sort of your own individuality so that when you look at these devices or see how they're marketed, you sort of ask yourself, well, is this for me? Does this sort of fit with what I find be comfortable with? And not just assume that it, you know, works for you. Like, I've, you know, written a lot about sort of, like, the downsides of speakers. But I know from an accessibility standpoint, they can be revolutionary. They can be very, very helpful for for people who are, like, um, dealing with different physical abilities or who are older. So their calculus is sort of different from mine. So I would just say it's important to sort of develop what your own calculus is and sort of work from there. Um, And I I would also send that message to critics of some of these devices. All the time I sort of hear the people who are like, oh, you hate privacy, or like, oh, you're worried about privacy, but you have an iPhone, therefore you're a hypocrite. And it's like, no, just remember that everybody sort of is dealing with their own thing and has their own calculus. I think that people that are critics of the tech should would do well to remember that as well so that they don't come across as uh, preachy. Yeah,
1: I, I agree. And that's actually, that's the advice that I give to a lot of people who I have discussions with about this. Uh, I'd say, you know, do an, do an inventory of whatever privacy settings are on your device. Um, they've actually made it a little bit easier for us to do, these companies, because whenever you buy a smart speaker or you have any sort of connected device in your home, it's usually controlled by an app on your phone or by a web interface. So you can open up that app and you can just go through the privacy settings one by one and for each one ask yourself, do I really want this on or should I turn it off? And you know, you can answer that question for yourself on almost all of them. The tricky thing that I found is that when these devices first started shipping, you remember a lot of them didn't come with Uh, on-off switches, right? They didn't come with mute switches. They were saving everything by default. So it's possible that when somebody first created their account two years ago, three years ago, it was set up in a way where everything is just saved all the time on default. Like every Alexa command that you've given to your Echo speaker over the last three or four years has been stored indefinitely on a cloud server somewhere by default the rules have changed recently where companies are now only storing things for 90 days by default or 18 months by default you know various um, sets of time and you have control over this you can go into your settings and see so even though you feel as though you've already done that audit it's really good to have good hygiene and go back and do it every six months or so because the settings change all the time.
0: Yeah, that was actually going to be one of my tips, Mike, which is if you feel like you want to welcome these devices into your home, make sure that you understand the controls or better yet that the company has designed them with very explicit controls. And that's not just about microphones. It's also about camera shutters. Um, When we first started to see smart displays come onto the market, not all of them had camera, you know, closure Buttons, so so the camera would just always be potentially activated, and then eventually I think Lenovo was one of the first companies that came out with one of the smart displays that had a little. um, I think it's like a shutter, right? Am I describing that correctly? Yeah, that's right. It's
1: a physical physical shutter.
0: Like a physical shutter, yeah. I'm like I write about products, I should know what this is. A physical shutter that you could slide to the side to actually just ensure that there was a physical covering over that camera, so that even if something malicious were to happen with that device you're not being filmed at home in your kitchen or wherever else you might have it. But I have to say that over time, I have either removed all smart speakers from my home or I've deactivated them. I had a Google smart display for a while, which I liked initially because it served as a kind of digital photo album. But then I have so many photos in my Google photos that it just got to be too much to manage. Um, not that much, but it just it was just that little barrier to like managing the album that I wanted to show on the smart display. And then it was just showing all these randos from my camera roll from like over the years. And I was like, oh, this is annoying. So I, I deactivated that. And then um, I have a Sonos that has Alexa capabilities because Sonos has made smart speakers in recent years that have both Alexa and Google Assistant capabilities. But I just haven't found the value to be there, and I think it was actually the the Sono CEO who said in a recent interview, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but that voice technology at some point would hit an inevitable plateau, and then it would have to make some kind of leap, right, to continue to prove its value, can continue to prove its utility, and and maybe that involves some verticalization too of the voice the voice offerings. And personally, I have not seen that leap happen, like. I'm mostly checking the weather now, or if you're in California, the air quality at this moment. And I'm doing that just swiping on my phone, and it's pretty easy. Or if I need to adjust the EQ or something like that on my smart speakers, I actually like going into the app and doing that. Um, I have just, yeah, I haven't really missed having a smart speaker in my home.
1: Yeah, people are pushing really hard to make the utility thing sing, Um one disturbing trend that i'm sure you've seen as well is that hotels are starting to put echo speakers in their guest rooms because they think that that provides uh, an added service when you check into the hotel if you can ask for things from the hotel using your voice instead of picking up the phone um i have not really figured out a way out of that particular conundrum i meticulously unplug everything. Uh, whenever I go into a hotel, like I even <laughs> unplug the little the little dock that they give you for charging your phone, um, and I just rather use my own. So,
0: but that's a good point too, because for some people, that utility of going into a hotel room, particularly in the time of COVID, and not having to touch things, would be a real <laughs> would be a real um, a real value proposition, if you will. I'll put on my Silicon Valley hat. But uh, for others, like yourself, you're like. Yeah, no, it's it's not worth it just on the off chance that a query I make or something I say could potentially be sent to a server somewhere and maybe not even having full, fully grasped whose account that is exactly on right. the hotel echo that's sitting there or whatever it might be.
2: I will say I... I don't know if this actually happened, but I heard a, f- a funny story out of Japan where the speaker was recognizing snoring as a query, so people would <laughs> fall asleep, snore, it would ping you awake, and then you were just stuck in this like horrible <laughs> cycle of um, your snore causing your speaker to wake you up. <laughs> I love that. Um,
0: well, you know, and also parents often say that they love the smart speakers because um, <laughs> because their kids are asking to play the same song over and over again and it it means they can just throw out a voice command rather than having to like hand over their phone or something
1: yeah these are all these are all uh futures that i don't want to live in (laughs) (laughs) um let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll wrap up the show with our recommendations All right. Welcome back. Sydney. you're a guest. You go first. What is your recommendation?
2: Um, my recommendation this week is for I May Destroy You. It's a drama on HBO Max. It is excellent. It is terrifying. It is supernatural. It's really amazing. It's um, a drama written and directed by Michaela Cole. She's a brilliant artist out of the UK. Um, I really can't go into any plot details except to say that it starts, it's Uh, a fiction based on a real life traumatic experience that she had and it really heightens every single episode to know that a lot of this is based on what happened to her and but she sort of takes that as sort of like the ground floor and then from there really explores things like how we tell stories how we heal sort of how complicated relationships are and the finale just aired um a few days ago I think and it really just sort of blew my mind with um a really, really sort of, like, meta, like, Kaufman-esque discussion of, like, what, what the point of the endings of stories are and what, what sort of, like, we... It, it was a finale that was about, like, what do we get out of finales, especially knowing that it with, you know, with traumatic experiences, we very rarely get just, like, a neat little ending. That's over with. Um, so it really was an interrogation of how you sort of close the door on trauma and move on. And um, she's a genius. It's incredible it's hilarious it's very dark and it's on hbo max
0: i think that angela watercutter may have also recommended that when she was on the gadget lab mike do you remember a few, maybe uh, a few weeks ago
1: i can't remember anything beyond like two days before yesterday
0: <laughs> <laughs> well now even more reason to watch it
1: what's your recommendation lauren
0: my recommendation this week is the September issue of Vanity Fair, which is a sister publication of Wired. For those of you who don't know, both Vanity Fair and Wired are owned by the same parent company, Condé Nast. And this issue in particular is special because it is guest edited by Tanahasi Coates. And there's one article in particular, the whole thing you should read, you should pick it up, you should subscribe. But there's one article in particular that is an As Told To by Tamika Palmer, who is the mother of Brianna Taylor. And uh, Tamika talks about her own life, growing up, her own upbringing, and how she came to be Brianna's mother. And she talks about Brianna and her spirit and her resolve in such a way that she really feels alive, which makes the whole article feel even more heartbreaking because we know, of course, that Brianna is not alive due to horrific circumstances. So my recommendation this week is to pick up the issue or subscribe to Vanity Fair and in particular read this article which we will link to in the show notes.
1: Nice. Well, those are a couple of heavy recommendations, so I'm going to try and uh, offer something that's a little a little sweeter. Um, I, we all know Quest Love, right? Quest Love, the drummer for the Roots, uh, former Wired one-time Wired cover model. Um, and just all around, you know, cultural touchstone. He has a podcast, it's called Quest Love Supreme, where Quest and a few of his friends interview uh, celebrities from the worlds of music and television and and movies every week. Uh, During quarantine, he's been playing some older interviews that he did a couple years ago, and this week he dropped a two-parter where he interviews Bootsy Collins. And Bootsy Collins, if you're not familiar, is a bass player, and uh, you may know him as... Uh, the guy behind a few of James Brown's biggest hits. You may know him as the bass player in Parliament Funkadelic. You may even know him as the guy with the crazy sunglasses who's in the D-Light, Groove is in the Heart video. Um, Bootsy is one of the most important musicians in funk and R&B and in hip-hop because his work has been sampled so often. And he has stories. He has all kinds of stories. He tells you stories about how James Brown hired him, how James Brown fired him, which is an incredible story, uh, about his years with George Clinton, uh, about Bootzilla. And it's all just this rambling mess of fun conversation. Um, Quest Love Supreme has a very informal sort of pattern of telling stories. They go back and ask questions, they jump around a lot in timelines, and Bootsy just rolls with it. So it's about three hours worth of interview, and I wouldn't recommend that you listen to all of it unless you're a big Bootsy Collins fan, but you should at least try it out. Uh, He's a lot of fun to listen to. Also, Bootsy rarely curses. Uh, He is a man of faith. So he comes up with all kinds of creative ways to not curse and still curse. It's, It's pretty awesome. So that's my recommendation. Bootsy Collins on Quest Love Supreme. And uh, those episodes dropped earlier this week. And as of this taping, he just dropped uh, a new episode that is an interview with George Clinton, Bootsy's boss in Parliament Funkadelic, which I have not listened to. But that's also something to look forward to. Nice. All right. That is our show. Sydney, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, and thank you all for listening.
0: And before we go, I wanted to share something about our other podcast, Get Wired, and we actually need your help for this. In the coming weeks, we're going to be doing an episode all about back to school, where we're exploring how parents and teachers and kids are trying to adjust and reinvent education in real time because of the coronavirus pandemic. And we want to hear from you about your experiences so far in remote education and what's working and what's not during this especially challenging back to school season. And we want to hear about your frustrations and things that you have figured out that work while you're trying to figure out homeschool over Zoom. So call us. We've actually set up a voicemail. It is not my personal number, but it is a voicemail that will take you to the Get Wired podcast nonetheless. We want to hear your experiences and please leave us your name and where you're from. And we really appreciate it. That number is 415-534-9498. And 415-534-9498 415-534-9498 to leave your voicemail with the Get Wired podcast and thank you.
1: Would you also encourage parents to have their children speak into the uh, into the voicemail?
0: Sure. I I would I would love to. Um and I and I think we can pretty much guarantee we're not going to share those with law enforcement. So <laughs>
1: almost guarantee all right well bling that hotline and you will hear you and your family on get wired possibly in the future if you have any feedback about this show you can find all of us on twitter just check the show notes gadget lab is produced by boone ashworth our executive producer is alex Kaplman. goodbye and we'll be back next week